Warning, the opinions of the host of this podcast are their own. We're giving you guys tips or, you know, just our general stories about grad school for your benefit. If you like them, yay. If you don't, it's okay. But do us a favor and like, share, and subscribe to our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and whatever else we decide to make within, I don't know, the next two coming weeks. B-I-J-T-G underscore podcast on all things. On Facebook, is B-I-J-T-G. Now. Back to the show. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, y'all. What's up? Hey, guys. I'm Maya. I'm Samnika. And today we're back with the episode 10 of Bitch, I'm I'm Just just Trying trying to Graduate. graduate. An episode that I like to call Grad School Interviews for 200, Alex. What is a struggle? Oh, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Well, folks, we are back with a new episode. And today we're just going to talk to you about the grad school interviewing process. It's the most important day of your early career. It's been a huge talking point on academic Twitter, especially among the POCs on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And we uh, we did a poll, 100% for, yeah, we want this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, come on. And just because you're already in a grad program doesn't mean that you cannot help spread the wisdom to people who are looking to pursue graduate programs. So this is just as impactful and important to you as it is to the next generation of uh, graduates. So... We know starting grad school is hard, and finding a lab that can match your research interests and your research style, as well as anything else that you are trying to do to be a beautiful, booming, amazing (laughs) academic researcher is important. Yep. And there are a lot of factors that we have to consider when trying to figure out if a lab group is best for us and whether or not you can thrive in agriculture. Yeah, I mean, all schools and lab groups have problems. It's up to you to figure out which ones are deal breakers. Ultimately, you call the shots on where you're going. And, I mean, grad school is basically a dysfunctional family. Yeah. So today we're going to talk to you about a couple of topics and our own personal experience during each of the the stages of a grad school interviewing process. Right. So the topics we're going to talk about are research history and compatibility, making contact with potential schools and advisors and visiting campus, advisor compatibility, probably the most important part of all the things we're going to talk about today, mm-hmm. the interview process, another important thing, and then meeting your potential lab mates, and then the follow-up and deliberations period, which you are your own boss at that point. <laughs> so let's get into it. So the first thing we want to talk about is your research history and compatibility. So what we're talking about for research history and compatibility is before you go into grad school, you need to know what you plan on looking at. Mm-hmm. Like, do you plan on studying the same thing that you're already kind of interested in now? Yep. Or do you plan on, like, expanding into something else in the future? I don't necessarily think academics should be put in just one solid box. But I couldn't see someone going from environmental research to, like, I don't know, neuroscience in, like, the course of two years. Like, it's a gradual buildup to if you do decide to do such a drastic change, you need to make sure that it is still compatible with what you know because you just learned a whole new skill set. And how are you going to apply it to what you are now interested in? And you definitely want to, like, build off of what you've done. Yes. You don't want to, like, 
I mean, hey, if you did a master's and you just decided that, I mean, a master's is so you can figure out what you want to do. So, mm-hmm. like, if you did environmental master's and you're like, no, I really, like, want to do this neuroscience, I'm pretty sure there was something when you were doing the environmental that made you want to do, so there was some type of bridge to make you want to do the neuroscience program, or maybe you want to do sociology or something like that. Just make sure it's something that interests you. Don't just be like, oh, I absolutely hated environmental science. Yeah. I'm just going to go to complete opposite, do a complete 180. I mean, use what you got and what you've already learned. So mm-hmm. when we think of academic history and compatibility, I want you guys to think of before you decide to even start pursuing grad school, mm-hmm. I want you to kind of look at, like, what are your research interests? What do you see being your future favorable career and how are you going to get there mm-hmm. and you have to actually look at it from like as what is your overall goal as a researcher what is your research niche and then what is your research style it's more of doing a self-exploratory search into your own person before mm-hmm. you have to make contact with people who based on asking you a ton of questions are going to see if you are compatible with them Yeah, because this is a way for you to figure out what program you're actually applying to. Mm -hmm. So many of you that are listening to this, you're, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, I want to learn about the interview process of grad school. So you probably already figured out that program that you wanted to apply to. Mm -hmm. Um, They've, you know, they brought you're bringing you in for an interview. But when they bring you an interview, they're going to ask you, why do you want to be in this program? What makes this program a good fit? So you have to, like, figure out how to, I guess, in a sense, convince them why they should um, accept you into that program. Mm -hmm. And to do that, you draw on your research history. And even if you're in a totally different, like, field and you want to, like, you're you're trying to switch, you kind of have to find that bridge and and show them that you are compatible. Like, just because you have a master's or a bachelor's in a totally different subject, that you have the skill set and the interest to actually succeed in that program. Okay. And I guess I'll go into a little bit of a personal example of what I've had to do when I was going through the interviewing process or just the overall application process. Um, So my background is in soil science, environmental science. Um, All of my my degrees pretty much say environmental science. To get into some of the programs that I was currently in now, they were like, okay, we see that you have a heavy environmental science background with a lot of soils and water quality work. Uh How is that compatible to microbial ecology? when I was doing microbial ecology. Right. <laughs> the program that I was interested in was in the environmental science department. I'm an environmental science student. I had experience running data in like R and running data in mm-hmm. Mother and Chime. And microbial ecology was not an issue for me, but I was more so interested in the applied environmental science aspect of what we now do with what we've learned from running all of these microbial ecology techniques that you would learn. Mm-hmm. So, had I had known that that lab was more theoretical than applied, yeah, I would have probably noted that my way of looking at science was not the best fit for that lab. And I hate the word fit, but I'm going to use it because it's a general term. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a fit as in research fit. Right. Like what you so wanted like, to do for research. To me... I just was not interested in what they were doing. Mm-hmm. So, I ended up But for some it. reason, you really didn't know that while you were applying and interviewing right. for it. So because they didn't, maybe because you also didn't know the questions that you needed to ask for that. At the time, I didn't. Now, we'll get back into that story. But just to research history, 
I was interested in microbial ecology, but I was interested in it being applied. Mm-hmm. They weren't, but they didn't really let me know that. So we'll go into this story a little bit deeper with the other yeah. aspects, too. So I, my bachelor's, my bachelor's in biology and my master's is in biological sciences with a concentration of environmental biology. Um, I did a lot of my master's thesis was dealing with plants conservation. So I kind of wanted to continue with the conservation. So I decided to apply to a ecology, evolution, and conservation biology program that's interdisciplinary. So get to draw on a whole bunch of things. Um, and I kind of, with my compatibility and based on my research history, um, even though I focused on one particular species for my master's, I realized that I wanted to do like more of a community approach to focus on different things. And I really wanted to do this interdisciplinary one where I'm not like stuck into just one department. So like sometimes there's a department like plant bio, animal bio, entomology, which is bugs or, you know, so I didn't want to be stuck into either one of those like departments. I wanted to be something that was interdisciplinary where Mm -hmm. I can draw on other stuff. So that's kind of why I chose like when I was looking for a program. So I was looking for that approach. I mean, side note, most black people that go, well, most minoritized people that go into programs Mm -hmm. usually like to go that interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary route because it's just more lucrative. Yeah. It is lucrative. And yeah, (laughs) and more flexible. Mm -hmm. It's more lucrative, but uh, I talk to y'all when it's uh, trying to find a job right now. (laughs) That lucrative. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. All right, so the second topic that we wanted to talk about was making contact with potential schools and advisors, and then, of course, visiting campuses. Because <sighs> <laughs> when you realize you want to go to graduate school, you have to start early. So hopefully this is not the time where you're like, oh, it's February. Let me start looking for schools for the fall. No, no, no. You uh-uh. should have been doing that last summer. Yeah, like as soon as you were like, hey, I want to go to grad school, mm-hmm. you should have been like, all right, let me start looking at But, I mean, stuff. if you're a freshman, don't be saying, and being like, oh, I want to go to grad school. No, don't do it as your freshman. No, but like, but like a senior. Your sophomore, like late sophomore, sophomore? junior. Yes. Oh, God. Yes. Like sophomore, junior, senior year. Like usually by then you know like, okay. I've, oh, I know what I want to do, and I might need to go to school for this. And sometimes you don't. But, like, in those, I'd say, like, towards the end of your sophomore semester, you kind of know what's up. So start looking at schools and maybe looking at advisors, but not contacting them yet. Oh, hell no. Oh, okay. Um, You don't contact them until, like, the summer before. Like, if you're planning, like, let's say. Your junior year is your most important year, I will honestly say, Mm -hmm. as far as, like, reaching out to people. And as long as you're still on track to graduate, Mm -hmm. that is important. Make sure you have dotted all your I's, crossed all your T's, and you in your you senior year, you can kind of just coast, do your little campus visits when you have time, mm-hmm. and make sure you hit all your requirements to graduate. But I've always been taught that my junior year is my important year to reach out to people. Yeah, so like maybe like the spring of your junior year and the, or the summer between your junior and senior year, because mm-hmm. you're going to be applying in the fall of your senior year. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're in already doing a master's, this should be the first year of your master's degree. Yes. Depending on if your master's is only going to take two years. Some people would take three years. Mine only took two years because I was just like, I'm doing this shit in two years. Um, but make sure... <laughs> basically. <laughs> make sure just whatever you're doing, you do it a year before. So, like, if you are planning to enroll in grad school in 2020 so fall of 2020 you should be 
talking to people in the spring and the summer of 2019. So Mm -hmm. everyone right now that is about to interview, they were talking to people in the spring and summer of 2018 because they applied in the the fall of 2018. Yeah. And that's pretty much just one of the techniques that in which I've used. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure you've used. And then there's a lot of things that just from what I've learned Mm -hmm. that you probably might want to be a little weary of. Like programs that try to sell you diversity, mm-hmm. bitch run. <laughs> but also, be wary of programs that don't try to sell you diversity as well. That's true. Because I'm on the job market, and there was this one job application, and I decided to look up the school, and I'm looking up the school, and guess what? Mm-hmm. The only pictures I see on the front cover of this of the school's website, white men. Oh, yeah. No. As I turned the page, as I was going through, White men, white men, white men. I was like, there's not even a female on this thing, let alone a black person. So I was like, no, I do not want to teach at a school where all of this is white men. And it wasn't even a, um, a only boys university because I was like, wait, is this a is this a, just an all boys university? Nope. I was like, yeah, nope. We're not applying to that one. Oh, bitch, run. They got teacups. <laughs> I mean, it's. I, the reason why I say be weary of programs to try to sell you diversity is because... Um, That's all they want you for. Right. There is a certain type of elegance in which PhD programs need to learn how to mm-hmm. woo minoritized students without them feeling like, God damn, I'm going to come in here and just be the black face of all of this around me. Or if they try to be like, we... Because I had one where they're like, they paired me with a black student who was, it was his first year. Mm-hmm. And he didn't really know shit. <laughs> and I'm just sitting up here like like he couldn't really answer my questions. <laughs> and it was really weird. Like I ended up not going there. It was like the even the other people they were like so I feel like I mean this is not a knock on I was in a different headspace then, but still it was just fucked up because just because I'm a black student coming in don't have the black student show me around and then he's showing me around just showing me all the black stuff. And then everybody, and then he was also, like, he was younger than me, fresh out of undergrad, which is not to really say that just because you're fresh out of undergrad, there's a, you don't, you're not mature. But he had a certain maturity level that I was just, like. Yeah, he wanted to pretty much show you all the bars and hangout spots instead of, like. Or, like, oh, there's another black person on this floor. And then all the other grad students were, like, oh, we are so sorry. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. even they, because they were like, he is some, there's some issues. And I'm just like, okay. So they didn't like that, that grad school, they, they only saw me as black. So they paired me with a black student, but not what I was interested in as far as research wise or something like that. They should have, they should have paired me with someone based on my research interests, not that we were both black. So that kind of was a, that was a thing that I knew, okay, nope, not doing this. Yeah, this happened to me before. Whew. So <laughs> let me give you guys a little backstory. So going based off of the story I was just telling about the research history and the microbial ecology and stuff. Yep. So before I got there, I had, you know, I've never had an issue contacting potential advisors Mm -hmm. because that's the easiest thing you can do. Like, it's just a nice, well-structured email. Mm -hmm. What should you put in the email? So for me, I always say, hello, my name is Mm -hmm. Maya. I always like to say my name. I let them know that I am what year I am in school, mm-hmm. that I am interested in pursuing a master's or a PhD mm-hmm. in their program. 
I have read a couple of their papers. That is important before you start applying or, you know, start contacting people. Read their work. Like, if they have stuff that compel is compelling to you, if they have a writing style that you like, I failed at, you know, yeah. Yeah, and one thing, don't, um, you want to, I want to say, make sure you look at their website, but sometimes their website is not up to date. Yeah. So, like, they might say what their research interests are on their website, but if they haven't updated in five years. So, actually look at some of their most recent papers. That's usually the best route. I usually don't do the website route, because every website I've seen has been pretty date. trash. But <laughs> I'd rather just read the papers that you put out, so... Um, I was just, you know, contacting people. Hey, I've read a couple of your papers. I see that you're interested in this, this, and this. I'm currently studying this. I would like to learn more about this, and I think your lab would be a great opportunity for me to further myself in this. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you attach your CV? I always attach my CV. And um, sometimes, you know, without them asking, I might give them, like, a little writing sample mm-hmm. or just, like, a one-page statement, you know, just about, like a kind of like a personal statement, but it's not a formal, formal one that you would part, turn into a university. It's just more of just like, here's my personal background, where I'm from, so on and so forth, and how I got to where I am. Okay. Did you do that for your master's too? <laughs> master's was kind of a funny story. Uh-huh. I literally just walked up to my advisor and said, hey, y'all got room in your lab. Because <laughs> so, <laughs> I stayed at the same university, which sometimes is a good thing and sometimes it's a bad thing I kind of feel like white people say it's a bad thing especially if you're a minoritized person because they want to make you feel uncomfortable about not you know branching out but yeah there was just a Twitter thread about that where basically the challenge to status quo that you have to switch keep going like you have to move to get an academic career where you have to go you should have to go to masters at a different university than you got your undergrad then you got your PhD and just that you have to like move which you know for some of us we can't do that if we have families. Or you just like where you are. Or you just yeah. You just don't want to. You don't have to move. So there's, and they say that it's like it's a bad thing. And for the most part, if you look at these like older professors, you just they they got their undergrad, their master's, their PhD, and they got tenure at the same university. And now they telling us that we that we now they telling us that we got to move places, which is not necessarily true. A story for another day. And I digress. Going back to what we were just talking about. I've never had a problem with actually contacting the person. It's more so, you know, just trying to get a feel of what what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Are they allowing people into their lab right now? So on and so forth. So, yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't have to change from, um, it really, you can literally send the same email to, like, multiple people. Yeah. Not in the same department. You might want to make sure it changes and also make sure you put their real name on there. Yes, Lord. Don't Don't be like, hey, Dr., X, when you mean to say Dr. Y. Okay. And always call them doctor. Don't assume Mr. or Mrs. I just got a Mr. H. And I'm like, mm, I'm um, not a mister. So just because I'm applying for a faculty position, I got to be a mister? Man, <laughs> all right. But um, as far as me, for my master's, it was a program where the way they do it is you just apply for the program and then you figure out your advisor once you get there. I didn't really know anything about it. I know that Chicago State was billed as a bridge to a PhD program. Mm-hmm. So you apply and you're just supposed to like gain the skills necessary. And then you found your advisor after you started the program. So in the first semester, we had an orientation where each faculty member had a folder that they put articles in. So not necessarily theirs, but like articles that relate to their research. And then what we did is we went through them as students and then picked one from, you know, we read through them. And then when we picked one, because we had to present three presentations based on these articles. So basically, you're just presenting the article to the class. My God. And then, so once you pick an article, whoever is the advisor, 
you go and talk to them and you invite them to see your presentation. So that's how you they decide if they're going to accept you as a student. What the fuck is this blind date? Like, I don't know. I really. So the, the reason I kind of liked it was because it made it where you don't have to. So first of all, you there isn't that that bottleneck of you have to have an advisor before you get into the program. Yeah. And then it was a, all the faculty members agreed to do this. So you never had the advisor be like, so if the advisor wasn't taking any students, they wouldn't have a folder. Okay, cool. So they were, all the people that had a folder that year were willing to take on a student. Okay. So then they already had to blocked off where they knew that for when that class was scheduled, so they didn't have anything else to do. So if they were coming in to see your presentation on that day, it, they couldn't say, oh, well, you know, Mondays at three o'clock don't work for me. I got something else to do. I like, mean, no, it was that was it was an agreement that if a student asked them to come give their talk, they will come come to it. So my advisor. So Professor Lupin came to my first one. I was really nervous. And he was like, OK, yeah. So he accepted. He decided to accept me as a student then. And mm-hmm. then he was like, I'd like to come to your next one, too. And I was just like, oh, but. That really, it just sealed the deal of how, like, it showed me how dedicated he was to it, like, where he came to my second, because you have to give three presentations. Mm-hmm. He didn't come to the third one, because he was like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll stop making you have anxiety that much. I mean, um, I guess. <laughs> like, it, it, to me, it's a cool thing, like, yeah. the way they set it up, it's just... It was just a way to find, because I know I was talking to one student last week, and she was asking me, how do, how do you go about finding an advisor? I was like, you just you just email them and mm-hmm. see if they're accepting, and then, you know, you just give them a spill of what you're interested in and stuff like that. Yeah. Now, for my PhD, what I ended up doing is, so I was going to my first ESA conference, which mm-hmm. was in August. So in late June, July, so I started looking up schools. I decided the way that I did this, because I wanted to stay in the Midwest, I just was looking at all the schools that had, like, Ph.D. programs and figuring out which Ph.D. programs that were interest, that I was interested in. Then I found advisors. So I emailed them. I was like, hey, I'm interested in your lab. Are you accepting students? Here's a little bit about me. Here's my CV. Also, I'm going to the ESA. If, um, if you're going to be there, I would love to chat with you um, a little bit. And the person, I mean, the school that I'm at, he's actually the one that I, he was the only one that was able to meet me at ESI. Oh, really? Well, I mean, conferences are probably the best way to meet a lot of people. So that, yeah, and if you're, and if, yeah, and if you are going to a, um, like if you are going to a conference and you're looking at grad schools, email the person that and see if they are going to that conference. And that would just help it where you don't have to like try to go up to the school. Now, there are, I went, because I also applied to Wisconsin, and he wasn't going to the conference, but since Madison wasn't that far away, I just drove up to Madison and went mm-hmm. to talk to him before, um, like, I went to talk to him, like, September or something like that. Okay, cool. So. Yeah, I mean, that that is another wonderful way. Like, just emailing people are, is very important, mm-hmm. and that's pretty much how you're going to do most of your contact, but conferences, symposiums. Places where you can just meet other scientists that are interested in the things you're interested in are very important. Try to go to as many of them as you can, whether you're presenting something or not. Yep. And I want to make one thing clear to you. The most important thing about going to grad school is the advisor in the research. Yes. It's not the school. It's not It's not even really the program or the department. Like, Mm-mm. yeah, I wanted an interdisciplinary, um, interdisciplinary program, but, I mean, if this department was trash... I mean, I'm not going to like I didn't I didn't choose it for the program. I chose it for my advisor 
and kind of the research he was doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm like four years into my program, and I still don't know all the people in my department. Right. Like, at all. Surprise. Like, yeah. <laughs> not at all. Yeah, that's it. You want to, you just want people who are just going to help you identify and pursue your dream career and not just mimic theirs. And make sure when you're talking to the advisor, you can kind of fill out how they feel about it. You want someone that generally cares about you and your future. Because it's like you don't want someone that when you're talking to them and they're like, uh-huh, okay, yeah. Like, you don't want someone that's just apathetic to what you're talking about. You want someone that's actually, like, interested in you. Yeah, and they're enthusiastic about you being in their program. Mm-hmm. Like, you can tell when you get an advisor that, or you get in contact with some person who really loves science, mm-hmm. and that is something that you truly want. You want whoever that you are now going to have to answer to or ask questions to to have an overall love for science and it not just be a chore in which they have somehow built a career from. And, and thinking about that, you have to make sure you give off that vibe that you are interested to. Because I kind of already, like, we're going to talk about this when we talk about my interview process. Mm-hmm. But um, one of the mistakes I made when I was contacting potential schools and advisors, so, like, with my advisor, I met with him at ESA, and then I was like, yeah, okay, great. And I never contacted them after that. Oh, no. And I just emailed, I just, and I applied for the program. Because for me, I thought us talking, and I told them I was going to apply. But I realized that other grad students, like there was another person that came in at, she kept going back and forth in contact. And me, I was just like, okay, yeah, this is a done deal. Mm-hmm. I'm going to apply. Now, I'm not saying email them every week. No. But make sure if you like, make sure you do a follow-up email. Hey, thanks for, you know, talking to me at that conference. Here's some information about me, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, he already had the information. But yeah, like, thank you for talking about that. I attend to apply for this. You know, I'm, I attend to apply and the, you know, when by the deadline, like just something like that, just let them know that you actually want to like be in that program. Yeah. Um, but in you their don't, lab. right. So in in their lab, you don't have to like go back and forth because a lot of times when they're making those decisions, it's like your advisor. If your advisor, if the person who is going to be your advisor is advocating for you, even if you maybe don't quite meet those minimum requirements, mm-hmm. your advisor can get you in. Yeah. This is important. And I have one final tip for that, and it kind of goes back into how we were talking about um, forming most of these emails. Mm -hmm. So in forming most of these emails, keep you a set of Word documents Mm -hmm. that are just like a general, just nice... Like a template? Yes. Mm -hmm. Like a nice written email of how you would just generally contact someone. Mm -hmm. A personal statement that you can just highlight what needs to be changed every time you send it. Mm Mm-hmm. That way, you don't have to feel like, oh, God, i got to send another email. Fuck mm-hmm. this. People. You know, like, you just kind of type up some stuff. And right. Spell check that motherfucker. Grammarly um, is free for students, so yeah. use it. <laughs> it is free. And write your email. Write the e- Do the email stuff before you put their, uh, their email address in there. I started, this is just life tip. This is a life hack. <laughs> when I write emails, I write the email. I don't put the two in there until I am positive yes. that the email is complete because sometimes you hit enter and you might think you hit enter to, to go, go to the there. next space mm-hmm. and it sits, it interprets enter as sin and you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. I, hey, look, look, we've all done it. I'm, I'm glad that now like with um the AI for technology, if you say something about attached and you ain't attached to it, it'll say, hey. You we noticed that? that? Yeah. We noticed you in attachment. I'd be like, thank God. Because I hate having to be like, oh, shit, I forgot to attach this thing. I have a folder of emails that are just 
botched emails that I have <laughs> sent over the years, so I can definitely relate. All right, so the third tip we're going to get into, and the most important one, mm-hmm. is advisor compatibility. Yep. Let me tell you, as someone who has had to go through a couple of advisors, not on my own terms, of course. One of them was just crazy. Mm-hmm. The other one passed, and like now I have new advisor who the relationship is just like great okay mm-hmm. um it took a lot to get there but advisor relationships are very important mm-hmm. like that shit will make or break how you feel about your program how you feel about yourself some days and it will probably be something that will stand out to you the most when you're done with your program because this is somebody that if you leave on good terms, mm-hmm. you can always go back and talk to this person. You don't have to sit there and kiss their ass. They don't really expect you to unless you have someone who's in science for the notoriety mm-hmm. and they want their ass kissed. Then to you, I say, may the odds be ever in your favor. <laughs> but your advisor is supposed to be someone who you can kind of double back to and just be able to have cool conversations with sometimes i talk to my master's advisor about my ph advisor and he is like it's somebody i can talk to about just like anything same that he will yeah um my master's advisor was probably the best advice i ever had because the dynamics were there we knew where we stood and at the same time it was kind of like some grand wizard just giving you all type of sage ass advice mm-hmm. that she was like this is what i need to live my life by like why, why am i doing this like yeah. <laughs> so, a lot of times when you go into these grad interviews and you're, you've, now you've had emails with these people, and emails are different mm-hmm. from meeting someone face-to-face. Yep. Um, I, Mrs. Microbial Ecology was that person. Perfect on email, but when you met face-to-face, you like, uh-huh. Yeah, the nicest person I've ever met through email, like... Until the emails got real. But um, <laughs> but the thing is, um, when you're now visiting the campuses and you're looking at stuff and you're now meeting the advisor or you do a phone interview. A lot of times they want you to do a phone interview before you even go. I prefer to do a Skype interview over a phone interview. Yes, yes. Always see if you can get them to do a Skype So you can interview. see their face. So there's a couple of things. The advisor is going to be looking at you and saying, is this person a good fit? And I'm doing the quotations with my hands right now because I hate that word. But basically it's like, is this person worthy of being in my lab, of being, you know, working with the students I've already cultivated, Mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Your mindset needs to be, is this advisor worthy of me? Right. Because I'm already coming with my set of skills that I want to use to further whatever research they're doing. You got to look at it as like they're helping you to put out papers, but those papers are going to have their names on it. Yeah, interview works both ways. Yes, it does. So that advisor compatibility is it's more so of personality and the generic shit that they always say, are you a good fit? Is, is this uh-huh. person like you? Oh, my God, I felt this way about this person. But it's also of seeing what you bring to the table and what they can do to help further your career. Because yep. once you leave grad school, you got to get a job, babe. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you got to figure out if they're going to help you get to where you need to go. 
Yeah, and it's important to just take notice. Like, don't be like, don't pick, pick things, but notice some red flags. Ooh, some Linda, listen. Listen, Linda. <laughs> if you take nothing from this podcast, listen to this, Linda. Okay. <laughs> red flags. If you see any red flags, you need to take those seriously. Don't, you know, we and we know for each of us, a red flag is might be something different. Mm-hmm. You know, if they just casually say something about, oh, yeah, you know, you you got something easy because you're black or you're a woman or something like that. No, not <laughs> you ain't got to get the fuck out. You ain't even gonna start to go there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and just so just take those things seriously. Um, we found so we've been like on Twitter. We're trying to get like our Twitter game up, and a lot of people are talking about this uh, about interviewing because it's interview season. So mm-hmm. indignant PhD, she said, dear grad school applicants interviewing these days, if you see red flags when visiting a lab or PI, take them seriously. Don't fall for the big names. Look for subtle behaviors and be aware because they are a real representative of the lab atmosphere. Yes, Lord. So everyone tries to put on their big, their, their best behavior. So think of when you're interviewing, the labs are putting on their best behavior. So if you see them still doing some type of red flags or something, know that that is the best that they could do right now. So it's just worse when they're not putting on their best behavior. Mm-hmm. So, like, when I go on these trips and visits and so on and so forth, I keep a tally of how many red flags I see mm-hmm. and then how many damaging character flaws. Now, damaging character flaws to me are men that are condescending, uh, mm-hmm. Women, preferably not of uh, minoritized groups that seem to not understand what it is to be in a minoritized group. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not really down for the homegirls that want you to go to the marches and then they don't know shit about intersectionality. Mm-hmm. And that applies to the workplace. I don't like advisors who micromanage. One of my favorite questions to ask, and I am quite blunt about it, is... How would you describe your work ethic with your students mm-hmm. if they falter? If they, uh, well, um, I expect my students to, and how frequently are you in the lab? You know, like, I want to know how many ways you can bullshit me into saying that you basically micromanage your students. I mean, I'm just wondering because you, do you have an example for, I guess, how often in their lab do you not want them to be in the lab that often? Or? I think that advisors should be in the lab. Okay. But, I've seen it where advisor in the lab, they're in the lab working on their own projects because mm-hmm. you're still trying to publish too. Right. You're not just relying on your students' papers. Right. Um, but I've also seen it where they're like, oh, I'm with my students. As long as they're in the lab, I'm in the lab with them. And some students don't thrive like that. Right. Like if I had an advisor that was standing over me yeah, all day. Nah. Yeah, and that's the thing. Coming from a lab that was micromanaged, that was not a good look to the point that you couldn't even like put pipette tips into fucking yeah and whales them. like you without like them without them touching your hand your shoulder yeah like that was an uncomfortable experience and most people are usually very blunt about it. like do you feel that you micromanage if they feel that uh, oh well you know I don't necessarily call it micromanaging <laughs> they most likely micromanage run bitch run when I work with undergrads. We work together. Yes. In a project. So, like, when I was doing my meta-analysis, I would be working on it. They would be working on it. And use and at different times, if they had any questions. But it really helped the process of getting it done faster because I was able to see if there were any errors in the way of doing things, if anything was, like, not as efficient. Yeah. And I kind of... 
Because I and I was wondering if it was like just me being in a control freak that I was like wanting to like be over that one, like make sure they were doing what they were supposed to do. And it wasn't that it was we had, you know, it was a 50 year data set needed to get it done. I is not and it's not that I didn't trust the undergrads to do it. I just knew that my work style is let me work with you. I'm not the boss of you and make say, hey, you do this and I do something else because I'm like, it is my project. Ultimately, it's my project. But sometimes we have other lab, you know, other people, other grad students, they'll have an undergrad work on something and be like, okay, you do this. And then they won't check on it for like two, three months. Oh, hell no. And then after that, they'll be like, well, why were you, how come it didn't get um, this often, this thing? Or like, because they'll write up a protocol, tell the students, the undergrads to follow it. And then two, months, three, two, three months later, they're like, it's all wrong. Or why did only you do 10 samples? Because you didn't realize when you wrote this protocol, like it's basically it's like how are you going to write a protocol for students to do something and you haven't done it, so you don't know how long it takes. So you thought in your head that them doing this wouldn't take that long, but it actually took them that long, so they didn't get as much work done. So then said student, when she started working on it, mm-hmm. she realized she could cut like half of the steps and still get what she needed done. Mm-hmm. Or it's like, you know, or that some of the stuff wasn't efficient. So when she started working on it, then they started getting through the samples faster. But, like, for a whole year. And she was like, you know, in retrospect, I should have just worked with them at the beginning or did a few of them. Like, just setting undergrads to a task is something that you haven't done. I think that's, like, really, really inefficient. So that's, that's when we when we talk about micromanaging, we're not talking about they just be like, let you go and then don't talk to you for nine months. No. No, we're talking about somebody that's like literally they're like, hey, you do this. And then they're standing over your shoulder to make sure you do it. And they, I mean, they might do it like, you know, stand over your shoulder to make sure you know how to do it the first second day. Yeah. But then they should be able to just let you go. Let you but go if they're standing over it. your shoulder every freaking day and making that's, sure you're doing it. Like this is not creepy. a this is not a clock in, clock out Situation. type of job. Yeah, and I mean, micromanaging is only one aspect of it. I mean, it's so many things that you have to be aware of. Micromanaging, to me, is probably the worst thing that advisors can do. Do not be in that environment unless you thrive under micromanaging. Yeah, if you need them to micromanage your ass every fucking day for you to get work done, first of all, you need to reevaluate your life choices. Okay. (laughs) Because research is not something micromanaging. Like, if you want to micromanage this, maybe you need to be a lab tech. Yeah. But you, as a grad student, you you have to develop this independence. And if they're going to stand over your shoulder, breathing down your neck, saying that pipette tip needs to go into this well, Mm -hmm. or you need to put this code in for R, or such and such like that. Yeah, and I mean, and there's multiple ways in which you can look at it. One thing that me and Sam love to do is uh, get on Twitter. Um, Academic Twitter is the shit. Uh And black academic Twitter is everything. They are very good at scouting out uh, potential researchers and advisors who are problematic as fuck. So mm-hmm. be weary of people who, you know, don't necessarily have the right mindset or an agreeable disposition mm-hmm. to what you might believe in or fall in line with. They might have awesome research mm-hmm. and you might think that you can tough out four or five years. But like, if they retreat in 45? Yeah. No. Like, if they voted for Trump and you you know that ain't your life, then no. Um, if they have put something out that was offensive to Asian people, black people, or the Latinx people, get the fuck out. Yeah, because like, this is the thing just at Duke where they're talking about um, the Asian people are not able, they shouldn't be able to uh, 
what speak, is it speak, Chinese speak, speak Chinese well they assumed it was Chinese it could have been Mandarin but they should be able to speak that in study hall and the person was like I, let me find out who these people are so if they ever ask me for a letter of recommendation or ask me to work in their lab they want to work in my lab I can say no just I because they were speaking their language with their friends would fight you and so offensive well at least the, uh, the department head got um she resigned <laughs> hello um, and you should um but so, yeah check them out on twitter yeah we always do it facebook twitter more so twitter because yeah academics like twitter the lab members too see if they you know yes. if, do they, are they hashtagging all lives matter uh-huh uh, no like you you spend more time with the students like your cohorts than you do with your advisor just on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. So actually make sure that's an agreeable place for you, too. But you also want to make sure your advisor going to have your back if some shit go down. Hello. And the final thing we want to kind of talk about is if it's agreeable to you, you might like if your advisor is a department head or if they have tenure or not. It's really to each his own. The best thing we can tell you is that there are many ways to work around it. Don't want anyone who is a department head or chair, then don't go to that lab. Mm-hmm. Um, it is going to be more stress on you. You are going to have to, like, be very, very independent in your thinking. Or you could just ask them. Be like, okay, you're department chair. How much time do you have for your students? Do mm-hmm. you think that impact them? And see what they say. If they be like, oh, my students are totally fine. But remember, ask the students, too. How are you liking it? Because right. I've had, I had interviewed with someone who was a department chair, and the student said it's a little tough to get him to do things because he's a department chair. Right. And, and another solution to that is, hey, how would you feel if I was co-advised? Mm-hmm. If they are agreeable to it, good for you, that might actually work. Because, I mean, having someone who is a department chair, being your advisor, it looks good for you. It works to your advantage sometimes. It does, sometimes. But, but it can also harm you. Yes, it can. Um, and then the tenure, non-tenure thing, I find that uh, ac- academics I find that academics without tenure are actually hungrier compared to academics. Hungry with for their research. Yeah. So you actually can ex- you do more research exploration with people who do not have tenure. And it's kind of a very wide casted opinion. Yeah. But it's an opinion that I it's an opinion that I for and have to see in multiple people. Yeah, because some people say not to choose an a research advisor that doesn't have tenure mm-hmm. with the with the expectation that what if they don't get tenure and then they have to leave the university. Most people get tenure that um because, I mean, the department is investing all that thing in there, and they kind of bring in someone who's going to get that tenure. But I'm against the not choosing anyone that doesn't have tenure, because guess who has tenure? Who does that favor? Old white men, they have tenure. Yes. White men, they have tenure. White women, they got tenure. Yeah. All white women, they got tenure. The yeah. ones that are currently coming into this department, the minoritized individuals, mm-hmm. they don't have tenure yet. No, they don't. How are they going to get tenure if they don't have grad students, if they're not showing that, if they're not building that research program? Yeah. So I don't think that that should necessarily be, uh, that's not a negative. So. Yeah. And I mean, just make sure that the lab culture and everything in which this advisor should be telling you about is actually a thriving and nice environment for you personally. You're going to be spending four to six years in these programs and you need to make sure that you are comfortable where you are at that you won't be having more stress than is already about to be put on you and that your advisor has your and the students in that lab best interest at heart that they are not self-serving they are not going to be sitting out here publishing more papers than anybody in this in the lab combined. That they're not going to be using you as a glorified lab tech where you're doing all the grunt work and then they put you in acknowledgement. Hello. Make sure that 
it is going to be a lab where you're going to expand your skill set, that you're going to learn new things, that you're going to contribute. Mm-hmm. It's not that what they're going to give to you. You want to make sure that you're giving something to them. Because I know I gave stuff to my apartment. Like, being the only black person, they done learned a lot of shit. They done learned some shit about hair. <laughs> and they had you parading around. You be sitting over there with your best clothes on, looking all type of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, before we go into our next topic... Before we go into our next topic, we're just going to sit here and give you guys a little quick ad. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> okay, so now that we're back from our ad, we're going to get into our next three topics about the grad school process. Whew. So the first one is the interview process, baby. <laughs> so with this, there's a lot we need to talk about. So for interviewing, you need to be pretty much on your P's and Q's that day. You are now visit, visiting the campus. You know what the hell you there for. Do what you came there to do. Like, mm-hmm. you, everything has pretty much come to this place. Don't be afraid to ask questions when they tell you, hey, do you have any questions? That is your time to shine. Like, they asses, asses up. Like, sit there with a notebook or whatever you need and just write out a just designated set of questions. We're going to give you some. So that you can start off a paper or a list of things and just go from there. And make sure to ask these same questions to your advisor, uh-huh. your lab members separately, and the other professors. So some of them you might want to, you know, some are, if you talk about funding, you might just want to talk to your advisor about yeah, that. Talk to but your, yeah. things about other things just about the department or the program in general, ask different people so you can, like, you know, take the average and see. if Because if they're varying, if, if people say different answers, somebody line. Yeah. And so here's the thing. So a couple of questions you can ask them. Me and Sam are just going to just switch off. Switch off, switch off. <laughs> so the first thing I like to ask people is about funding. I like to know how much am I guaranteed? Mm-hmm. Does it cover the summer? And then how many years am I guaranteed funding? So personal experience. The first program I came into with Mrs. Microbial Ecology. Dolores on Bridge. It was not told to me. That I only had two years of funding. A PhD is a five fucking year program. Mm-hmm. And she told me, after year one, that I only had one more year of funding. So I was not aware of that, which meant that I needed to go out and look for other funding. I've been in labs where I've had to look for my own funding. And in between trying to be productive and get work done, you trying to write grants... And you trying to do all this dissertation completion stuff, it's it's just nerve-wracking. It actually puts more time on your clock as far as being in the Ph.D. program. Mm-hmm. And it's unnecessary for you to have to do it. That's their job. They want you in that lab. They need to look for you some money. Yeah, because having that guaranteed funding is good. Like, So my program guaranteed me five years of funding. Mm-hmm. Um, they they got they got the better hand of it because I got some fellowships that they didn't actually have to pony up all that money. Yeah. Which, but I still was only guaranteed five years of funding. So Hello. after year five, I couldn't be like year six. Oh yeah, you uh, remember I got three years that y'all didn't even have to pay for. I can get extra time. I know they wasn't gonna do that shit. Okay. But uh, yep. So the next thing you should do is ask them, what's the average completion time? How yes. long does it take students to finish a master's? How long does it take them to PhD? If they say average seven to eight years, run. Because a, a PhD is five years. If they say most students don't finish for seven to eight years, they're doing something wrong. Especially, a decade. <laughs> especially if they only guarantee you five years of funding, where the fuck are you getting money for the next, next two, three years? Mm. Nothing should they be just probably just stress the fuck out. Seven years. Okay. Nothing should be seven years. Nothing. 
Mm-mm. Well, I mean, that, it, and seven years is how long before professors go up for tenure. Yeah. Why the fuck shouldn't you be in grad school for that long? Hello. That's just a hard-ass no for me. Uh, <laughs> your completion time, it, it's a reflection of how they treat their students and the productivity of their students. Mm-hmm. If they have long completion times, that means that the advisor and the student communication is somewhere off. Mm-hmm. No one, Someone ain't doing their part. Students not getting feedback from the advisors, or the advisors ain't getting stuff from the students. students. And then the, if they not, if the advisors not getting stuff from the students, then they obviously not paying that much attention. Yes. To the students to make sure they like, hey Timmy, where's this paper? Yeah, and avoid passive aggressive labs. Like, mm-hmm. don't go to a gra- uh, lab that is aggressive because if that's not your environment, you're gonna be mad. But don't <laughs> go somewhere where they make you feel uncomfortable or they feel uncomfortable critiquing you. And like, you can tell this from, I mean, from the interviews when you're asking them questions. Like, yeah. are they passive aggressive with their questions? Oh, well, you know, we, we don't want to. Yeah, yeah like, avoid just too that. passive. Nah. Nah, don't do that. Um, So, I like to just kind of figure out, and my favorite thing to ask is, where are your students who have graduated getting jobs? Are they all going into academia? Have they branched off into government and industry? And how... How important was your part in making sure they got where they needed to go? Mm-hmm. Like, did your students just say, hey, look, I applied for a couple of jobs. I just need you to put in a couple of, like, you know, recommendations. I just need you as a recommendation on my CV. Or did you actively kind of help to bridge the gap between your students getting places or if you were hands off? Because to me, that can make or break a lot of things. As minoritized students... Getting a job for us it's hard. might be hard because we're smart. We know we're going to be smart. We know we're going to get the degree. But it's sometimes, and the shitty thing about it is that other people might need validation, which I think is stupid, for us to get to the next step after grad school. I've seen it. Mm-hmm. I hate it. But having an advisor that, you know, you have built that relationship with and they can help you kind of, like, grease, you know, some elbows and get through the yeah, door. Yeah, some networking. Mm-hmm. Would be very helpful. It's really hard to network as a minoritized student. But I think all people should be challenged to try to go out there and get jobs on their own. Yep. But if you need that extra help, don't be afraid to take it because it's your right. But also... Try not to work in those environments in general. <laughs> and and one thing about this, you know, asking where grad students getting jobs, I've, I've had this when I was interviewing. If at any point you're interviewing and they uh, say something like, oh, you don't have to worry about getting a job because, or even when you ask about summer support or funding or something, and they say, oh, don't worry about it. We have a diversity fellowship. Man, no, that... I don't like the, that answer is really vague and really stupid and it gets on my damn nerves. I've actually had advisor, a, a, a professor be like, oh, you don't have to worry about that. There's funding for, you know, mm. and I'm like funding for what? I don't what? And they're like, you know, because you're and I'm like, I'm what? What? Where is their funding from? And they didn't even want to say it. So wow. that just told you like and then mm-hmm. they finally said it and I was like, oh, huh. It's that easy, huh? Well, what happens if I don't get that? <laughs> and I mean that ties into the next thing we want to talk about. We should never be afraid to ask the, the person that is interviewing you what is its own department's strengths and weaknesses. Um, that is very important. Like there are just things that you might definitely find important, such as outreach opportunities, diversity incentives, and departmental activities. Mm, yeah. Probably not just happy hour and stuff. That if they're not doing those type of things or giving you that type of energy, if it yeah. just seems like a well-doing machine, 
you might not want to be there. Yeah, because, I mean, everybody has their strengths and weaknesses. So if you went up, like, what do you think is the weakness of your department? You know, they might, if they just bullshit some answer, you'd be like, well, man, you can't be perfect. If they try to present themselves as perfect, perfect. run away. That is, because they're, they're lying. Yeah, and if they falter too much, that's another flag. It means that they really haven't looked at it. Because if they can be honest it. with their weaknesses, it's something that you might be able to bring to strengthen those weaknesses. Right. I mean, you want to make sure that it's a good fit for you. I hate that word. Or you want to make sure that, you know, hey, I can bring this to the table. I can make sure that you guys get improvement here and there. Just make sure that if you do this, we do this with this in mind. So if your thing is outreach, make sure that they do incorporate outreach activities, but it also strengthens diversity. It also strengthens, I don't know, things that we want that would be pertaining to gender equality, mm-hmm. things that we might want that would be just bridging gaps between people who probably would never really even talk to each other. Right. So, yeah. So, I know one thing that a lot of people might ask about the interview process is, how do I dress? Whew. Yeah. Most important thing is to be comfortable, be you. If you're not good and wearing a suit and tie, if you wear a tie and you know you don't like wearing a tie and you keep messing with your tie and fiddling and you uncomfortable... Mm-hmm. You're just going to be miserable the whole damn day, and they're going to see it, and they're going to think you ain't going to be there. Right. I mean, I agree. Dress as comfortable as you can. People's- but you ain't coming in there with pajamas. No, don't. Don't come in there with pajamas. And the southerner in me is like, don't come in there with jeans. But it really just depends on the department. Yeah. I honestly kind of feel like if you are comfortable dressing up, mm-hmm. then dress up. I know me. I feel confident when I put on a pair of heels or I put on a nice skirt, mm-hmm. but that might not be the next person. But you can do, you know, dark jeans. I probably do a pair of black jeans that you can't really tell they're jeans. They might just look like slacks. Yeah. Mainly because I'm like, hmm, where am I? Do I have any slacks? Nope, I have dark jeans. Yeah. Because if you can't go out and buy a 40 50 pair of slacks, just dark jeans, mm-hmm. a nice boot, not for me, not too much of a heel. We wear the snow and ice, and it's about to be February, and... Grad, I don't know. I ain't trying to slip and fall. No. When I was doing the interview, I was going between three buildings. Same. I so I can't wear no heels with that. But if you do wear heels, make sure you put some Dr. Scholl's yep. things in there. And or keep, at least have a bag with some comfortable shoes in hello. there just to pull them out, just in case. And keep your coat game proper. Mm-hmm. Like Make you, sure your coat matches what you is. Yeah, you like, I, I definitely have... All right, don't tell nobody. <laughs> I've done interviews where I've had on, like, rock and roll shirts, but my coat game was so good, and I knew I wasn't getting out of that coat for the day uh-huh. that I was like, let me just, like, turn on them. You know, like, I got it. <laughs> but, yeah, just dress how comfortable you can be. And make sure your coat is clean. Okay. So the last thing we wanted to focus on is drinking during the interview. Um, no day drinking. No day drinking. So at lunch, care. don't get a beer or get, wine. No, get water. cranberry juice, water. A soda, if you're into that. Um, at night, if you go out with potential lab members or maybe the advisor. Um, one, maybe two. One or maybe two. But don't overdo it. I've been don't places. Don't white girl wasted. People have been shit-faced in front of me at these, like, interview days. And I'm like, how do you do this? Why? It's, that is not how your life should work. <laughs> and it, it was just a creepy experience. And most of them end up not being accepted. Because they've just been belligerent in front of people. That's crazy. Hello. So the next topic we want to talk about is meeting your potential lab mates. We're going to keep this one short and simple. Mm-hmm. The main thing you need to worry about, get their asses alone. Get the tea. 
get the tea and get all the shade and get the fuck out. Like the tip, the main things we want you to to figure out about this group is are they relatable? Like you don't necessarily have to be best friends with everybody that's gonna be in that lab. Don't come in there with the expectation of being best friends with no. them. Just seeing are they good people? Can I do collaborative work with them in the future? And how do they manage? Like, if they are a hot mess and they're gossipy and they're trash people, nope. you're not going to be around them. And you can pretty much... I get vibes. So if I know somebody's a hot-ass mess, I know to avoid them. Um, do they make you comfortable? I've been in places where I was the only black person in the room. Mm-hmm. And they did not make me comfortable. Do you think I was going to that lab? Nope. The advisor could have been the best person in the world. But if that lab culture was just not hitting it no it's just like no 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 and does the advisor hover when they take you to meet the potential lab mates if the advisor stays in that room if they feel nervous about you being left alone with their students you need to probably go run away yeah because they don't let their students talk freely. They're probably going to listen to everything their students are saying. And then those students are probably going to get nasty emails when you leave because they made the advisor feels that like you made them out to look bad or something. So so this person didn't do it during the grad weekend, uh-huh. but during orientation, when they had grad students come talk to the new people they already in, yeah. she stayed in there the entire time while the grad students were talking to the new that is so creepy. It is. Um, so, so everyone listening to this podcast, mm-hmm. I'm assuming that you are a minoritized individual in whatever form. You need to try to talk to, no, not even try. You need to talk to if there are other minoritized students separately. So we're going to remove that status quo, remove them, talk to them separately. Watch out for those that are in the sunken place. Yes, Lord. Get out Get if they out. are in the sunken place. Get out. You can tell by their eyes mm-hmm. and the smile on their face. Or they, I don't see color. You might get people that are like that. Like, or it's all rainbows and yeah, like they don't sprinkles. they don't see race here, and I just feel so comfortable. Like no, get the fuck out. No. Now mm-hmm. you don't really want. I mean, I'm not gonna say you want somebody to be like, oh, I'm blackly black or whatnot and all that stuff. And there's someone that's just totally like just the extreme end. We're not talking about if they not on that end. No, we don't need like the whole tepper. We no, we don't need whole tippers. So that, I'm not saying you got to be in a place with the whole taps. Yeah. But you don't want to be nowhere with the sunken place. Yeah. If the people be like, okay, yeah, there's some bullshit going down here, but you can survive it. Everybody just need to know their role. Basically. That's it. Um, make sure the students are getting everything they can out of the program. Make sure that they have, ask them about the resources they have. Hey, look, are you getting help with your writing, your publishing? Statistics. If you're farther in, how's the job hunting going? How active is your advisor in helping you? Do they give you money to go to conferences? Um, talk about everything you can. Do they have good health care there? Do they have good research facilities? How hard is it for them to make time to do things? Mm-hmm. Like, get everything you can out of those students when you can talk to them. Talk about their average completion time. How long have some of them been in ABD? Mm-hmm. Because that might be on them and it might be on their advisor. Yep. And then the most... Most important thing to talk about is how can they afford to live where they're at? Is, is it reasonable? Yes. Is it a reasonable place to live? Do you Can you do it on your own? Do they have families? Is it okay for them to use the money that they get from their stipends to support their families? Ask about daycare. Yes. Schools, the school system. Your advisor in that conversation is important. 
it's very important. Mm-hmm. Probably the most important part, but talking to those lab mates, if you can, will actually help you understand your area. Yeah, some people say that you shouldn't, like, you, so your advisor is not allowed to ask you if you're married mm-hmm. um, or if you have kids. You or have any to tell of them that information. Yeah, so they can't ask you that. But if that is something important to you and you want to make sure that they are supportive of you having kids, mm-hmm. um, even if you don't have kids at that moment, like, you know, you're in year one, you might just be married, but you might plan on having kids. kids yeah. I, you know, ask them how they feel about it because you don't want to be year four and then you have a kid and then all of a sudden they like, oh, man, you're just not productive anymore. Y'all don't know what you're Oh, you're, you're not taking your research seriously. Because, yeah. I mean, that was one of the conversations I had. I was like, hey. Um, if I had a kid, is that going, um, how are you? And like, he has two kids, so he kind of understand it. And he had a kid when he was like postdoc. Right. Not. But you want to make sure, cause some people, some advisors, they think academic, like, oh, once you have kids, everything just goes down the shithole. And that's not true. <laughs> that's not Hell, true. Hell, sometimes you get more productive with kids cause you have a limited amount of time. Yeah. You like, look, I can't be here too much longer. This, look, I want them out. You know, like that's it. And the last thing to always ask is, what do they do for fun? Yep. If this is a place where all they do is drink and work, if that's your thing, go for it. If that is not your thing, try to see what other things they have. If they're in an area where people have a lot of group exercise, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff, or if they have different type of programs that graduate students can be a part of. All important. I mean, but in all seriousness, asking white people what they do for fun, if you a minoritized individual, they probably going to give you answers that you're going to be like, nah, bro. Because I know people ask my, like, what do you do for fun around here? And people, what they say, I'll be like, that's what they do. Probably play hockey or some shit. Um, They go on hike. They go birding. They... Yeah, I mean, yes, find the Black Student Union and, and ask them and what they do for fun. Oh, there's some comedy clubs around here. Yeah, do that, do that, stuff do that. like that. Like, just see what the place has what, to offer. The movie theater, do they uh, actually bring in? Because I remember there was some place I was so mad that they didn't bring. What was it? Moonlight, Dear white people. Dear white people in Moonlight. They was didn't like bring them. Selected theaters or something. And, like, like, I had to go to fucking Chicago to see dear white people. <laughs> I was so fucking pissed off. Like, there are black people here. Yeah, it's, mm, yeah, just see what you can ask, see mm-hmm. how they do, and <laughs> so on and so forth. God bless you. <laughs> uh, all right, so our final topic that we want to talk about is basically your follow up. And the deliberation period. Yep, because so, after you leave from the interview, you mm-hmm. got every there is a national date. April fifteenth is your usually the deadline for making a decision. In that time, self evaluation of the situation is the most important thing you can do. Go over your notes. Go over your notes. Hopefully, you've maybe interviewed at several places. Compare and contrast. Do mm-hmm. pros and cons. Was that place comfortable to you? What's your gut reaction? So we told you earlier to take notes. When you're taking notes, don't just write down what their questions is. Write down some things that you'd be like, oh, yeah. this person said the this comments thing. That stood, yeah. yeah, like the comments that stood out that made you uncomfortable or comfortable. And you really just want to know, like, hey, look, will I flourish here? Mm-hmm. Is it a hazard to my health, both physical and mental, if I stay here? Will I have to put up with a lot of shit that I'm not used to? And just... Does it have your overall best interest in heart? Do they just want you because you are a minoritized individual? Or are they actually trying to help you? Because there are some labs that they just want you because, like, oh, we got this funding for diversity, so we need this diversity. Nah, we, yeah. Best analogy. Black people in STEMS programs are like basketball, like college basketball or football players. Like, <laughs> you got to pick a hat 
like you get accepted to all these places and you got to pick ahead of where you're going to go. Mm-hmm. And then wherever, wherever you go, just know that you're going to be a spokesperson for whatever the fuck they want you to be for a minute. Because they, it's that sense of entitlement. Mm-hmm. They feel like, oh man, we got a black person. So when it's something pertaining to diversity, they might be trying to make you the poster child diversity. I have been on so many goddamn posters and website pages that I wasn't even aware I was on. Until I clicked on the shit and said, man, my picture on here. And I mean, like, it's, it's, somebody once told me it's the give or take of being where you are. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was the most disrespectful fucking thing I had ever heard. Because, no, it's just. I don't know, it's interesting. Because here in my program, they try to act like they don't see race. Like, there still has not been an acknowledgement that I'm going to be the first black person to graduate from this program. Wow. And I mean, no one is gonna acknowledge it unless you do, and that's the fuck up, fucked up thing about it. I mean, I mean, I mean, the fucked up thing is like it fucked up this 2019, and I will be the first black person to graduate. Mm-hmm. But also, it me of another person were the first two to start the program. Yeah. But it's it's that whole I don't see color thing. Like y'all don't realize, especially how damaging that is. And the fact that you tried to you tried to make me not be here. Yeah. In my first year, like you tried to kick me out, and yeah. now it's like, oh, she does this and she does this and she's this, and it's so wonderful. I bet you when I leave, my name gonna be plastered everywhere. Yep, and they gonna have your pictures and shit sitting over there. Like, we got a picture of you, and you own a brochure. No, I think I'm not. I'm not that. Uh, they 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 don't they not really choosing me because they like, oh, Sammy. Yeah, she. Uh, they don't. I'm I'm kind of problematic. Mm. They, I'm not the. Uh, I'm basically not the Rosa Parks of the bus movement. Well, I, I laugh because I'm I'm problematic, but they're like you're so photogenic. So I'm like, bitch, I don't mean you gotta use my picture. Like, no. I just have mean face, but like, nah, I ain't. I purposely don't take photogenic photos. So I, I mean, can't use my. As we're saying, <laughs> be prepared that yeah. if you go somewhere and you know you're going to be the only black person in mm-hmm. that program. Make sure you actually want to represent it. Make sure you want to represent it. Like, go with your gut instinct about any program you choose to go to. If you felt uncomfortable at the interview process with the advisor, the lab mates, the overall just mm-hmm. interview process, the department here was a little trashy. If you feel like that space might not be the best space for you, you're... Your gut is pretty much telling you something. Yep. And don't be afraid to try to negotiate. There is no harm. The worst thing they're going to do is say, nah, you can't come. Man, yeah. Nah, we don't want you to come. But they probably ain't going to do that. Um, but know your worth. If you get accepted into multiple multiple schools, use that to advantage. Be like, well, this school is giving me a smile. Can you up that? And and when I say up it, it'd be like, okay, well, you guys are, you're guaranteeing me five years of funding. Mm-hmm. How about you give me, guarantee me two years of summer support? Yeah, or waive my student fees. Like, yeah. something like that. Like, I don't need I don't know, paying. really, no. There's some, like, they waive most of the fees. I don't know if they can waive that, that last that's not bit on, of money. That's not on every program. Some programs, no they one can, can waive you. They okay. can waive all your fees. Yeah, I mean, but you got to know if they, if, if it's fees that they can waive. Yeah. But, or be like, yeah, if, um, just stuff like that. But, because, like, I negotiated when I came here. I, um... As the as knowing that they didn't have any black students, they I ended up getting a fellowship, and the fellowship was less money than I would have made as a TA. Mm. And I, they were like, "Oh yeah, you have this fellowship, and you get." And they tried to say, um, "Well, no, they didn't really try to say it, but they were like, um, I was like, I understand that this fellowship is this amount of money over twelve months, 
But that means my monthly pay will be $600 less a month than yep. other students. Yep. Can I need you to do something about that. Otherwise, I can't afford to come here. Mm-hmm. Even though they had given me the most money, but I still was like, I will go somewhere else. And they gave me two months of summer support Good. Um, to bring it up. I still kind of struggled. But I struggled that first year. But that second year when I had that, I had that summer support on top of my stipend. So I just because it was just the way their their money worked. They couldn't give it to me during the they couldn't give it to me during the year. Mm -hmm. So that second year, the extra money I got in the summer, I just saved that for the second year and then for the third year. So the first year was a bit of a struggle. I ended up doing like a half a TA um, because they had they needed some help with that. But, But yeah, but negotiate. Ask for money. There's no harm in asking for nope, extra money. it ain't. If they got it, they got it. If they don't, they don't. Yep. Um, my personal favorite tip for this is don't pick prestige over a department that is kind, loving, and wants to lift you up. Yep. And they basically want you to be a great scientist. You can go to them Ivy Leagues and them. But if they in those silos and that competition and that do or die, mm-hmm. n- no, you might not even graduate from it. Or you might come out of it broken. Yeah. You don't want to be going through imposter syndrome for the rest of your life because you picked going to Harvard, Yale, or wherever the fuck. Then like, the state school. Over there. And, I mean, me and Sam, like, we have had debates over, like, tier one research schools and other type of schools because mm-hmm. I, I feel like if it's a good institution and they do good work, and it's something that you want to do and you feel passionate about there. If you feel like you can create a lab base there, you should be able to go there. But I'm in the camp of I want to go to a tier one so I can bring more of us there and change the fucking culture. Right. And I have nothing bad to say against that. But I just I'm know, about to be dean. In 20 years, I'm going to be dean of a tier one school. Hey, hey, hey. Put it in there. Put it in there, amen. But you know, Unless I have they find this podcast. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's very true. But you know, I just I just think of certain schools and the culture mm-hmm. and like how hard it is for us to get into it. Yeah. And I'm not necessarily afraid of people being in those spaces, but I also know that for me personally. I don't want to have to deal with that Game of Thrones anxiety mentality for the rest of my life. I might be Arya. Yeah. I, you, you'll thrive. I know me. I'll be <laughs> to the point where I got to cuss the bitch out and then they be like, she fired. Like, we don't even know what to do. I don't want to have to go on the Twitter rant and then my students sitting over there retweeting me and then I get fired. Mm-hmm. Like, I just know that's not my spiel, mm-hmm. but I lift you up and I hope that you do everything you want to do in that environment. Yep. Who Lord. And make sure um, when you're thinking about this, is your prospective advisor someone that you can see yourself working closely with for many years? Hello. You don't have to be best friends. I'm not best friends with my advisor. Nope. And there's times you're going to be frustrated. Mm-hmm. But just just because they're a big name and they're like, oh, and they're in their field, don't, you know, take that time away and do that follow up to stop being starstruck. Yeah. And realize, are they a jerk? Or not. Yeah, I mean, some of them are just assholes. Because mm-hmm. it, it, you can see on the way, like, journal club is the best way of determining if someone's an asshole or not. Because mm-hmm. if a student is given a journal club, which I've had to sit through at Potential. Like bird places, lab. Yeah. Um, if the, the head of that lab, the advisor, is so condescending about a paper, um, 
that ain't where I want to be. Like, you know, I don't mm-hmm. want to, I want somebody that actually breaks papers down and they're not doing it in a way to tear the author of the paper down. It's more so in a way to critique it so that you don't go out and make the same mistakes. If that is not how they roll, if they're just trying to be a big shot because they feel like they're cool and they're smelling themselves, mm-hmm. fuck them. Get I, out of there. I hate when people read a paper and they always look for the flaws. Like, damn, can't you just say this person did something good? Like, this yeah. is a good damn paper? Yeah, like, I mean, why do you have to, like, tear down everything? And there, there are rationales for why people didn't do certain things. Yeah. Like, why, if I do a bottle, why I only did certain number of things? Like, hell, I, I ain't had the money to do it. Well, I digress on that. Because some yeah. people just need to put in their limitations what they could and could not do. But at the same time, I just don't like people who just shit on other scientists just because they are not on their level or so they think. So limitations I mean, are, oh, we couldn't do this because we ain't had the money. Hello. If you ain't got the money, you I don't know. They'll let you actually put that in your paper. Man, what? I've been sitting over there like, we ain't got no fun ton. Like, that's about it. But, so, yeah. Yeah. And the main takeaway from it is just keep your eyes and your ears out. Check your Twitter. Check every, like, when you get home and you still, like, oh man, I really, really like that lab. Keep your eye. Be vigilant. Make sure you email people. You follow up. Thank you for letting me come. Mm-hmm. I'm still going to follow you on Twitter. Check their Twitter every now and then to make sure they ain't being problematic. They ain't doing no hashtag, ain't no viral hashtags. If you're kept in contact with any of the potential lab mates, check on them every now and then and see how everything's going. All the way up until you decide what school you want to go to and where you want to be. And an important thing to know is when you go on this interview, Mm -hmm. they are putting their best foot forward they are being on their best behavior yeah so if you see some shit that go down when they are putting on their best behavior and they all got that on their fancy mm-hmm. all that because they trying to do because they be like oh yeah we want students because right now we getting those emails we're about to have recruitment weekend we want to be the best and show whatever but if you see some shit go down this is mm-hmm. them on their good day yeah. and there's some shit that go down and i want to imagine what they go Imagine what's going to happen on their worst day. I want to talk to the nice person who they keep parading in front of you to the asshole who all the way in the back. Like, I want to talk to everybody. I want everybody in front of me. Because <laughs> that let me know the entire dynamic. Yep. And these are main tips and topics for each of these segments. That we Yeah. We hope that this was really helpful for you. Mm-hmm. And now, because, you know, on social media, we, we did the poll. We asked you guys, did you want this? We did it. We also asked you, hey, we're doing it this weekend. Do you have any questions? Yeah. So in a special segment that we just created for this episode, mm-hmm. we got some questions from social media. Yep. All right. So our first question, well, most of our questions, came from a friend of mine named Erin Holland. And she's an undergrad from Tuskegee University. Yay. And she just kind of let us have it. She was just like, what is there out there? So the first question she put out there is, is there a difference in the process with master's and Ph.D. programs? No. Like, not a major, like, difference. I think with a Ph.D., they probably will expect a little bit more from you. Like, they Uh expect you to kind of um, have a little bit more experience as far as research writing research experience in and remember general. this even if you come straight from undergrad they, they're going to expect you to be a little bit further along for a phd or they might suggest i've known some people who apply for phd programs and they're like you know what maybe you should get a master we accept you in the master's program and not the phd program. right um i have a friend that that's happened to i kind of feel like when it comes to the process of just the overall interviewing application so on and so forth 
they kind of put a little bit more pressure on the PhD aspect compared to the masters. Mm-hmm. With the masters, you know, they want to be like, okay, have you had a little bit of a research experience? Will this be all new to you? So on and so forth. With the PhD, yeah, you have some people that come directly from a bachelor's, but they also want to know, have you had some experience in the lab? Mm-hmm. Uh, have you done any type of research papers? Have you been a part of a paper? Like, there's a lot more that kind of goes into the PhD one, but overall, the entire process, like, as far as interviewing, so on and so forth, that won't change. What really changes is just how much they require of you. Yeah, because in the PhD program, you're doing more research. So usually a master's, your 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 master's thesis would be like maybe one or two chapters. Mm-hmm. Your PhD, three chapters. You spend more time on the in on the research. So a master's degree is thirty two credits. PhD is ninety six. So the thirty two credits you have about twenty of them actually being course credits. So you're mm-hmm. in the course, and then twelve credits of your research. So yeah. your research is not going to be. You, you know, they're not expecting too much for your research. You don't have to produce new knowledge for your master's per se. Yeah. But for a PhD program, you still have to do, you do like 32 hours of like courses. But that other 96 minus 32, because mm-hmm. I can't count right now, is mm-hmm. research thesis credits. Yeah. So that's, so that means you are supposed to be putting that many hours, you know, on your research. You so her next question mm-hmm. was, is there a general selection committee or is it people from the department you're interested in? But same thing, both, both basically. Yes. So there is a usually um, the department, they choose about three or four faculty members mm-hmm. who are on the search committee for that year. Yes. So there is that general selection committee for that program. Yes. Um, so you usually have a meeting with them. I know for my program, you have about a 15-minute meeting with them where they ask everyone the same three or four questions. Yes. And then for the rest of the day, you're meeting with other faculty members Mm -hmm. for like 20 minutes and talking to them. And that's kind of where they all get in a sense of you. You're getting a sense of the people in the department. Mm -hmm. You have a little bit of a longer interview with potential advisors that you're interested in. Usually, so for an interview process, like they have your whole day planned out. You have breakfast with everybody. And then you're like just shuttled from office to office. Sometimes it's building to building every 20 minutes. You're talking to them. It's they ask you questions. You ask them questions. You might have lunch with the lab that you're potentially interested in. Usually you go out to dinner with the lab or there might be an entire department-wide thing to do. At least that's for the STEM. I know in my master's program, because I went to a school that they they ended with a master's degree, and me applying there, you didn't apply with an advisor. You just applied to the program, mm-hmm. and then they chose you. There was, like, no interview process at all. Yeah, and based you, off your merits It was stuff. just based off merit. And I know I've talked to some people that are, like, on the liberal arts and humanities side. They, Their process is kind of similar. Sometimes it's different. They have a little bit more steps and components. They might require that the students give a seminar. They might require mm-hmm. that they interact a little bit more, or they might just, like how we just said, pick you based on merit, and then when you get here, you pick. Yeah, and then, like, I think engineering stuff, they also, like, pick you based on merit, and then you do rotations throughout right. the first year to decide whose lab you're going to be in. But most of the time, whoever's in your department will have a committee, and they will decide who is accepted. Yeah, I would say the good thing is just about, like, the biological sciences thing. Mm-hmm. Usually, you have a potential advisor that you want to work with, so you kind of can already, you can already do that 
know that if you're going to work with them or not when you get there. Mm-hmm. Like, and then they they put some skin in the game of like, oh, they're going to fund you for something like that. Yeah. When you go into a program where it's like that rotation thing, it's, I feel like, I mean, it's, I haven't gone through it, but is there uncertainty of will you even find someone? Like, what if you came here for this year? But then we will also say that first year is, is your time to figure it out. Like, you mm-hmm. should be be flexible. Like, your first year might not work out, and you just leave and go to another institute if that's the case. Even if you had an advisor, like, hell, if that shit don't work out, switch. You ain't, you ain't committed yet. So her next question is, do they expect you to already have a potential research topic? I'm going to say no. And I... Only because you use the word topic, mm-hmm. I feel like you should have a research interest in key subject mm-hmm. that you are interested in. But like, you don't have to have a defined question. No, like you can't have a defined research question if you ain't in the lab. It's more what well, you can, but mm-hmm. you know, some labs they would like for you to come, but then there's the talk of funding and making mm-hmm. sure they have money to allocate to what you're trying to do, or more so. You need to make sure that this lab has something that you like. Like, I think that if you look at a research subject or interest, like with me, mm-hmm. I like arsenic. I like environmental contaminants. I wouldn't go to a lab that didn't have an interest in environmental contaminants or arsenic. Right. I, I would like to go somewhere that, based on the funding they have, if they have, like, a general pool of funding that can go to projects pertaining to arsenic and mm-hmm. the environment, then you have a little bit more wriggle room to make your own questions. Right. As long as it hits what they want you to hit. Now, if they have a certain type of structure to what projects they can do, yeah. they're probably already NIH or NSF funded. Yes. Some some advisors be like actively like, I'm looking for a student to work on this project because I have funding for it. Right. And so that's a specific topic that they want you to do. And usually, but those NSF proposals are pretty... I won't say that they're broad. They're broad, but specific. So it's like as long as you're in that direction. But like as far as like them paying you for that, they because they they pay you out of that as a research assistant, and you do that. It's usually mm-hmm. like it's to collect some data or something like that. Because usually you're not coming in just to do stats, no. but you're collecting data that they use to answer specific question. Yeah. But you can create your own question. A lot of grad students they create their own questions using that same data. Mm-hmm. So it might have to be like, oh, this NSF proposal is on frogs and this disease that impacts frogs that I can't think of what it is right now. Right. But <laughs> so you have to go out in the summer summer and collect the frogs and maybe like analyze the the disease and prevalence and stuff like that. But you can figure out what other questions you want. While you're out there you could also be taking water samples right. and other stuff like that. And maybe even applying for small grants so you can test those water samples. Now, if that's not what you want to do, then... You probably should go into another lab if you ain't trying to do frogs. You don't have to have a full-fledged question, a Mm -hmm. research topic. Like, no, don't don't come in there unless, you know, they want that. And they they should probably let you know before you actually show up on campus if that's what they're looking for. Don't be afraid to email them and ask them. That's a good thing to put in an email. Hey, yeah, how, do you, I, yeah. how do you prefer your students? Do you want them to have, like, potential research interests? Do you want them to have topics? Yeah, because I was talking to a professor at, at Yale. So when I was trying to figure out, I, I almost went to Yale, y'all. So I was talking to him, and he was like, oh, yeah, so send me some topics that you might want. And I sent it to him, and my email went to his spam folder. And then he responded to me, like, three days before the application was due. 
But because I hadn't heard from him in like two months, I was like, oh, he just laughed at my email and it didn't even deserve a response. Mm -hmm. But he responded to it and he was like, oh, yeah, that sounds really good. I hope you apply. And I was like, oops. Yeah, I don't have time to apply. So I almost went to Yale, but I didn't. Um, God's plan. Yeah, I would have been doing I've been working on something totally. Yeah, if I went to Yale, I wouldn't have met Maya, right? (laughs) I even just that. I mean, look, everybody I've talked to who's been there got Uh, imposter sense about the Y2. And I mean, like, Mm-hmm. I ain't about that life. But even here, I didn't, I just knew from, so for my master's, I worked on a Pacific plant and I did conservation biology, population viability mm-hmm. stuff. And I was working on a single species. So I knew I wanted to work on like community ecology. I wanted to do more than one species. So I was talking to my current advisor and he's like, yeah, there's like three potential, you know, there's three current projects that we're kind of working on. One of them we just wrote a grant for and it's recommended for funding, but it's still up in the air. And then there's a couple of other ones that that you could work on. So I didn't actually have a Pacific topic when I came in. I just figured it out when I got there. That was my first semester, figuring out what my project was. Yeah, I mean, that's usually how I go. Yeah. And, yeah, that's about it. I hope this podcast has been helpful to you guys we really wanted to make it it's pretty long yeah this is a long podcast thank you for bearing with us if y'all are here hey it was a very it was a very interesting topic and people have been putting a lot of shit on it about it on twitter and we really wanted to make sure we gave y'all everything we could that um, we knew about it, because guess who, I mean, because, you know, people are putting stuff on Twitter, mm-hmm. but who are the people putting it on Twitter? Hello. And what they, is that's from their point of view. So we're kind of like, people are not going to tell you, you know, trust your gut instinct. No. And ne- these follow, profess- follow the vibe. These professors ain't going to tell you to negotiate. No. I mean, do. Because they're going to want you to just take what they give you. Yeah. Do what you can for where you at. Mm-hmm. Make sure that it's comfortable to you. Make sure that you get what everything you can out of it and that they're going to make sure they give you everything they can out of it. Make sure you can live comfortably while doing it. You don't want to be stressing about research and then having nope. to stress about the money and finances that you have from that you ain't getting paid when, when you should right. be getting paid more. You don't want to be stressing about You want to yeah. make sure you have funding because you don't want to be, oh, you have to write this to get funding, wondering where your next paycheck is going to come from. And ask questions y'all do Ask not go a lot in there. of questions yes do not go in there thinking that you ain't gonna be sitting there with your questions and like when you get in there you're gonna be seeing stuff that you probably ain't gonna like and you need to call people out on it while you there yeah like, that's it write down at least i think you should have at least five to ten questions mm-hmm. use this guide use this episode as a way to figure out what questions those five or ten mm-hmm. and ask them yeah don't go there without five or ten questions there you go and, and make sure they answer them. And if they don't answer them, take note. Mm-hmm. Make a pros and cons list after it, after that, and decide. Bitch, you just, just trying, trying to graduate. graduate. But you gotta get in grad school first. All right. Good night. I'm ready to go home. Bye. <laughs>